Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. I just love that song. <laughs> I got it from the Free Music Archive. Uh, it's called How How. Or no, the band's How How, and it's called Steamboat, if you want to check that out. I just love that song. Uh, it makes me, it gets me in the mood for the creative pep talk. So we got our first Factor Meals, and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely love them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how Factor Meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low-calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Uh, so today I'm going to try not to mess around at all. I'm going to give you two quick announcements and then we're going to be straight in the content. I'm going to try to do it in the next 30 seconds. Number one, this is, this show is now, uh, in affiliation with illustration age and you can find and listen to this podcast on their website, illustrationagecom slash creative pep talk. And you can listen to all the episodes there as well as see, Tons of amazing illustration. It's one of the best websites focused on illustration out there, in my opinion. Um, I love the guys who contribute to that. Uh, I, you know, I always see really new stuff, and I'm super excited about that. Number two, second thing is just a shout out to all of you who bought my "Do Not Be Afraid" poster, which is the first creative pep talk poster. Uh, and yeah, I super appreciate it. That definitely uh, supports me doing this, and yeah, you guys are awesome. I really appreciate it. Okay, let's get straight into it. I don't want to mess around. No, no long intros, all right? I've realized with other podcasts, I can't stand when they do a giant, uh, half the show is the intro. So today, what we're talking about is 10 ways to grow your commercial art practice, and there's no joking around uh, there's no messing around, you know, I didn't try to come up with some title that was going to be super hip. I just came up with something that I thought, you know what, 
I'd listen to this show. This is the show I'd want to hear. And I just tried to think about what are the 10 things that I actively did that really did have an impact on my art uh, business. And, you know, getting new work and growing my work and getting better work. Uh, and so I just tried to pinpoint 10 things that I thought really helped me and continue to help me and maybe they'll help you. All right, let's get into it. Number one, find an audience instead of creating one. Okay, check this out, right? If you want to make commercial art, if you want clients and you want to get paid doing what you do, uh, this is my biggest suggestion and it's so massive. So I did a project called Nod where I did a daily character drawing for a year uh, every weekday and I did 260 of them and there was really no basis for the project and I loved the project and there was great things that happened from it. But I didn't know this, that Nod was, there was no audience for what I was doing. There was no precedent for the type of project on Tumblr. There was, there was no set audience. I was creating an audience around a new premise completely, okay? Which is fine. It's actually a fantastic thing to do. And the fact that I invested 260 characters to it made it fine because I did grow an audience of it. But I didn't realize, I didn't do that intentionally. And I think that, you know, growing an audience is more of a thing that you do if you, um, if you're a media creator, if you're someone who wants to create uh, some kind of media, and but even then, even if you're going to create some kind of media and you're going to create an audience around something, it's best to go to a place where there's already an audience. And the thing about Nod, the thing that didn't work about it, in some so there were some there's tons of things that worked. It was really good for my development. Uh, a lot of cool stuff came out of it. But there were other ways where I put all this time and energy into it, and it's and people didn't always understand what it was. And the reason was because there was no existent existing audience that I was tapping into. I was because it wasn't part of a you know these characters weren't part of a book. They weren't part of a TV show. They weren't part of uh, a story. They weren't part of anything where people like. You know, it could have been a kid's, it, it, really it made sense, more sense if I would have tried to focus on writing a story geared towards 7 to 12 year olds uh, that was fantasy but also kids, so it wasn't ultra fantasy. Um, and there's a precedent and there's an audience for that, that already exists. What there isn't an audience for is... 260 characters that have no context that just is little character studies on characters that nobody already knows and there's no it, and it, that's as far as it goes it doesn't turn into anything else that anybody already is an audience for and so again there's tons of great things that happen with it but I feel like this is something that you hear um, when I think about uh, people doing projects, people doing uh, new new work. I feel like they get so wrapped up in like what they want to make, which is fine, and we're going to get to that, but they get so wrapped up in what they want to make, they forget that it's for people. Like, you're making this for other people to enjoy. And if you're going to do that, you need to give it enough context to where you're meeting an audience. It's so hard to grow an audience from scratch. 
It's nearly impossible. That's the truth. It's nearly impossible. But if you do something where there's an already an audience there, then you're like, for instance, there's already an audience for kids books. There's already an audience for kids books about animals. There's already an audience about weird kids books. There's already an audience for uh, typography. There's already an audience for um, lettered things. There's already an audience for screen prints. There's already an audience for stationery. There's, you know, there's like, you have, like that makes so much more sense to go towards something where there's already an audience and you're going to speak, you're going to say something new to them. You're going to bring something new. Like it's, it's not about copying somebody or ripping off someone's audience. It's about going to an audience with something that they can understand bringing something new to that audience and there's no shame in that like and, and I think so when you w with your work I think one of the things you need to think about is what is the group of people that already exists what is the niche that already exists that I'm being I'm playing a role in that I'm playing a part in and I think it's very lofty and unrealistic and not even really in existence this artist that creates their audience uh, it's so rare I, I'm not even sure that ever happens um, so that's my first thing. Find an audience instead of creating one. Number two, be the MJ of something. Do the, be the Michael Jordan of something. This is something that, you know, you know, when I'm, you know, when I'm looking about this, like, okay, your seniors, uh, I, I teach seniors, the senior class. And, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you've got this far. You clearly have talent. You clearly, you know, you've got something. You've got a passion for this. But sometimes I see them doing something or going a direction where they really don't have any business going that direction. Like, and this is what I think about, right? This is something that's helped me recently is, you know, I drew, uh, you know, I tested out drawing portraits in high school of people. And to be honest, I'd say about one in five kind of captured the likeness of him and you know but it wasn't something that was natural for me it wasn't something that I enjoyed it wasn't something that I I was that successful out you know I was really good at drawing but not very good at drawing people and capturing that realistic likeness and and I didn't like doing it and and so back even far that far back you know that's when I got into gig posters and screen printing and kind of design like illustration and it was part of it was I really responded to it and I loved it I love the simplicity of it I love the elegance and of an understated kind of nature of art uh, but part of it was that I knew I could do that I could do that like I could draw I even if I look back I didn't even realize it at the time but even as like you know a second grader I was abstracting characters down to their most simplest forms and trying to make iconic um, like characters and in, in, in type and all kinds of stuff like that. And so that, that was my thing. Now, even recently though, even recently I'm thinking about what do I have when I, I'm pretty familiar with my strengths and weaknesses. What things am I doing still that play to my weakness? And it means that I'm, a, I'm eliminating the possibility of being the Michael Jordan of something. What's the, what are the things that I think I have the potential to be the best at. Now, caveat, right? So like Michael Jordan was the Michael Jordan of basketball, which is ginormous, right? Like 
you don't have to be the, the Michael Jordan of illustration. Like that's, you know, some people, there are, there's a person out there that will be the Michael Jordan of illustration and that's great for them. But let's talk about the bulls. Let's talk about Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, right? Dennis Rodman was the Michael Jordan of rebounds. That was his thing. He wasn't trying to dominate uh, offensively and, and score all the points. And, you know, he, he wasn't trying to be the Michael Jordan of basketball. He knew he couldn't. He knew his limitations. And, and, and this is what I think. You know, self-awareness, the self-awareness, you can go back to the episode about self-awareness that I did, is so key. You have to understand what you're good at what you're bad at, and you need to be honest with yourself, and you need other people around you that are going to be honest. For me, one of the biggest inflection points of my work, one of the points where my art grew the most is when I met my wife. You know, she is very honest, and it's so helpful. And she, you know, I remember the work that I was creating, we were, we were both doing art at school, and uh, the work that I would create, she helped me figure out, you're not so good at this. And you're really good at that. And I focused on that. And that's when I started focus on illustration and not so much like um, graphic design for layout and typography. And so you need that. You need that self-awareness. But I really believe like you could be, what if you're just the Michael Jordan of illustration, editorial illustration for parents' magazines and family illustration. Like, you could do that. Like, is that something you could do? You know, could you be the Michael Jordan of fantasy art for book covers? Listen, again, think about it like this. If, like, that genre, fantasy, requires crazy chops for realism, if you don't have those, you probably don't want to go down that path. You're not going to be the Michael Jordan there. You know, I have, I don't want to out myself because I think, you know, it's one of those things like you're not an artist until someone calls you an artist. Like you can't name yourself the artist. And it's one of those things where I don't want to say I'm the Michael Jordan of this because I don't think I'm the Michael Jordan of anything yet. But I do have some suspicions about what are the things that I could possibly be the best out artistically and then market wise. And, and I, and, you know, I just, I think that it's really helped me recently, even in the past year, to say these handful of things I hate doing, I'm not interested in, I don't like it even in other people's work, I don't feel like I can ever be great at them, I'm not going to do them anymore. Because usually it's some kind of ego thing, like having to prove that you can do this or that or whatever. I'm not, no, I stopped doing that and I thought, I'm going to lean into the thing that I think I have the most potential at growing in my art, um, even just skills-wise. And I feel like since I've done that, my work has never been better. And, uh, you know, I guess if I do say so myself. But I do, I do think that that's, I do think that's true. All right, number three, develop an awesome side project. All right. That can be all kinds of things. For instance, this podcast is a side project of mine. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, something similar to stuff that's been done or even similar stuff that happens in your market. Usually the best ideas are things that, um, you know, you don't know any other illustrators doing. Um, I'll just give you four things I think that are important about, uh, about doing a side project, about choosing one and coming up with an idea for one. Uh, 
number one, it has to have teeth. So if you give it a, you know, give it a title and then give it a tagline. And in the title and the tagline, you should be able to, it should be self-explanatory and people should know what you're talking about and they should get an instant feeling about what it is you're doing. If you have to tell them, you know, 18 sentences about what the idea for the concept is, it's not a concept. I'll just give you that right now. And I guarantee it doesn't have teeth. In order for it to have that purchase, you know, that thing that like gets some, like, you know, grabs people and like has that, you know, that, that bite, you need that, you need it to have something clearly interesting about the project, uh, in the concept. Number two, it needs to be authentic. Uh, one of my favorite people is, uh, Kate Bingham and Burt. She, um, you know, she, one of the things I heard her say, uh, in a creative morning's talk is when you start a project, it should be something where you're like gonna die unless you do this project. And those are the only ones you should do. And I think that's so true for the side project. It's gotta be authentically who you are, what you're about. You have to really be interested in it. Don't try to fake it. Don't be like, I'm going to cash in on this trend. People freaking hate when, when people try to cash in on trends. Don't do it. Don't, don't sell out in that way. Number three, it has a clear audience. This goes back to number one. Don't try to create an audience. Don't try to create an audience with a project. Tap into some group of people that already exist. And, and that might sound like a marketing thing or it might sound like you're copying or something. It's not. If you just sit down and think about this idea, I don't want to spend the whole podcast. If you sit down on this idea, you realize that 99.999 things are marketed to an audience that already exists and there's nothing wrong with it. It just makes sense. It's just practical. It's just the way to go. Number four, directly relates to, we're doing a list within a list. Uh, This is number four, four number three of developing an awesome side project. It directly relates to the work that you want to do, right? Don't do a project that has no practical application where there's, there's nothing that could come of it from clients. Like do something where an art director would see it and they know how to use it. And, and they know, oh, that relates to something else I could do. For instance, uh, you know, you might want to work on your people drawing or you might want to work on your animals or you might want to work, you know, even that simple. Do, do a project where, okay, now art directors know you're the animal guy and, you want, and if they have a project for animals, they're going to go to you. So... That's my, and the last thing about the uh, awesome side project is side projects are the best way to promote yourself today. And look, I don't want to get crazy marketing-ish, but, and I know it's not cool to talk about the fact that you want to make money, but everybody needs money and everybody wants money and they want to do it doing stuff that they like doing. Um, the truth is, right, what's cool is if you, if you want to talk about content, which I know artists hate that word, like creating content, but your side project is content. It's content for other people, which, okay, the semantics of that, whatever, but it's basically something that other people can engage with and enjoy in, and you're bringing value to other people's lives. You're bringing you know, emotional value or um, connection value, whatever it is, and if you're not bringing value with your art, you know, why are you making it? And so that's really all that content is. But your side project, the cool thing about being an illustrator or being a designer is that you have the power to create content all on your own. Now, businesses out there, they have to hire creative people to create content for them. But the thing about you is that you have the power 
all by yourself to make your own content. And that's why I think this is important. All right. Learn something new. Okay. A few years ago, I felt like um, what I was doing was really saturated and it was a little bit too easy. You know, I heard someone say, I think it was Chuck Anderson said, you know, all these people that get super aggravated about people, people ripping them off. And his, advi- his advice was do something that they can't rip off. Like that's what, like that's the best insurance policy. And, you know, that got me thinking and, and it was around the same time as I started thinking about, you know what, I want to start working. Um, you know, I've seen some people mm-hmm. that do their work with uh, a drawing tablet and I love the way that looks. I love the possibilities. I feel like it could really expand what I, my potential and what I can do in my work if I started to work digitally. Um, and so I started learning that, learning that skill. And actually, when I first started, this was like three years ago, when I first started, it was super painful and it didn't work. And you know what? I just decided I'm going to keep working at it until I can figure it out. And you know, it took a long time and every year I get better at using it. And now I really, really love the stuff that I'm making with it. But I notice when I look around, the people that didn't start to grow something new are stuck in the same place or those things are kind of drying up. My dad said, uh, he, you know, he's a business guy and he said that with their business, um, you know, they're very intentional about every year they're kind of learning something new, like a new skill or a new part of their business that they're going to start. And so every year you can start learning something new. It doesn't have to be super dramatic. It doesn't have to be a giant learning curve, but just something where you're always introducing something a little bit new. And then that plant those seeds and then you can harvest it in a few years. And it doesn't have to be something where you're like, all right, I'm going to learn animation and I'm going to learn it in the next month. Just start messing around with animation if that's something you want to grow into. Just start messing around, make little stupid gifts and stuff, and then slowly build up until in a few years you can harvest that new learning thing. Because I think for me, one of the biggest things that has helped me grow past that ceiling that I hit was adding new skills or developing um, stuff that, Maybe other people aren't developing and, you know, can set my, my work apart from other people. All right. And I really hate learning new stuff. So if you're that type of person, just trust me. I'm the exact same. Five, number five is collaborate. You can go back to the episode about collaboration where I go into more detail about this. But um, just a few things, right? There's three things I think that are important about another list between inside of a list. I love lists. Uh collaboration, uh, is so, it's like, it's like the, uh, you know, miracle grow for your business, for your art, commercial art practice. Uh, here's three reasons why. Number one, it instantly, if you do a collaborative project, you're instantly reaching twice as many people, right? Because you're using your audience and they're, uh, using their audience. So you're in, that's an instant doubling of audience. Number two, communicates confidence because for you to sit around and start a new project is the easiest thing in the world. And nobody has to agree with you that it's a good idea. You can just sit around and do it. And, you know, anybody can do it and people do it all the time. But for somebody else who hopefully is respected as you and uh, does as good of work as you do to buy into that, you guys both buy into the same idea. 
you're saying that that idea is vetted by both of you. And I almost always feel like when you see a, a zine on someone, by someone else, okay, pretty cool. You do a zine with someone else, do a collaborative zine, instantly it's a little bit more interesting. Like, okay, like these, this, was inter- this is good enough for both of them to agree that this is worth doing. So I think it communicates confidence. And the third thing is you grow. When you work with someone different, um, even if they're similar to you, they're going to um, they're going to do things that you don't do uh, and do things better than you do. And every time I've done a good collaboration, I leave almost uh, growing exponentially, way more than you would think, almost in ways that you can't explain. You work closely with someone on a project, and you leave just much better off than when you started. You know, and and I and I don't know any other way to explain it than that. All right. Let's move on. We're going quick today. I want to get all these things in, and I don't want to waste your time. Uh, go outside. That's number six. All right. When you're an artist, it's so easy to get obsessed with your work, to get obsessed with your hustle, to get obsessed with making the stuff. But honestly, one of the biggest things, even when I lived in a small town, going outside, meeting new people, And not just going out and trying to network and get stuff from people. Go out and get involved and give to, you know, give give some of your time to the different arts organizations that you live near and go to the events and meet people and make some friends. Make some new friends, okay? Don't sit in your studio all day working on the stuff thinking that, look, like, the thing about art, just forget the idea that it's a meritocracy. Like the best artists don't necessarily win, and that's okay. You can still be an amazing artist. You can still focus on being great at your art. But the truth is if you don't connect with other people, you've got no chance of this thing working. And I think even when I lived in a small town, I, I, you know, I put it off for a long time. Um, you know, it's, it, it, when you work on your own, sometimes you lose your social skills and all that stuff if you're not, if you're alone too often. But, you know, one of the things I started doing was just intentionally go and get involved with the museums and the art in, uh, organizations and all that. You know what? First of all, just emotionally, it pays off and it's great. Second of all, I got so many cool projects. And so I got to collaborate and, uh, with different companies locally and do some really great stuff. And it was, and it actually built out a part of my income that I never expected. But you can't underestimate, A, how important real face-to-face connections are with people. And then, B, how many opportunities are out there, even if you don't live in a really major city. And so, you know, that's, an, that's a really easy way to grow your businesses, to make those face-to-face connections. Go outside of, just go outside, go outside of your comfort zone, and go get involved with other people. I think that that's one of the easiest, fastest ways to grow your business, um, Grow your go your commercial art practice. Um, all right, number seven. Let go of what's not working. All right, I got two examples for this. Number one is from Mean Girls, where <laughs> the uh, I don't remember their names. I don't know it that intimately, but I always liked that. There was a girl on there, one of the popular girls that's trying to make the word fetch happen. She's trying to get people to say this word and. Uh, Rachel McAdams, I think it is, is like, stop trying to make that happen. And uh, I feel like 
you have this thing that you're obsessed with, your ego wants it so bad, and you want it now, that you're hammering on this door, and nobody is opening it, and they might not ever open it, or they're not going to open it for a year. And I'm going to give you another little story real quick, okay? In a future podcast, uh, I got a guy emailed me, Brian Hurst, uh, gave me this idea about defining your success. I'm going to do that one pretty soon, I think. Thanks for the cool idea. And I'm going to tell you a story about one, one time where I got lost when I went on a run when I was in England. But, uh, you know, long story short, you know, I had to admit that I was wrong and that I was lost. And, I, and admitting that you're going the wrong way is so difficult and you feel so stupid or, you know, whatever. But you know what? And I, fell, I flagged someone down. I finally got to call my dad. And I kind of expected my dad. I love my dad. He's a good guy. But I just thought, I'm going to call him and he's going to be like, oh, why didn't you bring a phone? Why didn't you, you know, how did you get lost? Why did you do this big run that you didn't know where you are going, all this stuff? And, uh, you know, when I called him, I didn't even think I was gone long enough for him to worry about me. And I was an adult, um, you know, but it was in my college time. And he, when I called him, he was just very worried and he didn't know where I was and he was upset. He didn't have any you know, I told you so, or you should have done this, or you should have done that. No, it was just, he was worried, he wanted to help me get home, and, you know, I I feel like that whatever reason, there's this thing that's, you know, this fear of letting go of this thing that you have, you know in your gut, it's time to let that thing go. And I think just... You know, as much as grow, you know, growing, I think is just about just as much about um, you know more as it is about less. It's just as much about pruning what you're doing as growing new fruit. You know, and I feel like you've got to stop and and stopping that thing that you know is not working. It's not going to feel scary. It's not going to feel bad when you end up going to do it. You're going to be met with great things. And I think you take a moment. Get real with yourself and just say, "Is there are there a few things that I'm doing in my work that I know they're not working? I know they're coming from jealousy or you know copying or something. I, what is it in your own work that it's time to pause on or time to completely move on from? Because the truth is, you can't grow unless you free up some time, you free up some space. All right, number eight: learn from other industries. This is the don't judge a book by its cover. I would say one of the things that uh, I'm both embarrassed by as well as super proud of is my, um, you know, I I will go into any um, book or podcast or uh, resource or a person. I will take uh, whatever um, lessons I can learn from my art. I'll take them from anywhere, and I won't judge them by a book by its cover. I don't care what the presentation is. I don't care what the message is wrapped up in. I don't care. I, if it's good stuff, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to use it for my thing. And the cool thing is, if you'll not judge a book by its cover, and you'll go out there to other industries and learn from them, you're going to be able to bring new stuff to your industry that nobody else is doing. And I think one of the easiest ways to grow what you're doing is to look out into other industries and see what other people are doing, see things that nobody else is doing in illustration, and 
bring that back. But the thing that you're going to have to do is you, you, can't, you can't be put off by the wrapping of, of the stuff. Because, you know, for instance, I, you know, I, I like a lot of, like, um, marketing people. I like a lot of, like, business, uh, you know, work and, and, and resources. I love all that stuff. And, yeah, there's a lot of times when I'm engaging in that kind of um, – industry where like, I don't love the way that they're doing things. I don't love the, I hate usually the design of things. And then I hate even more the semantics or the words that they choose to use or, you know, or, or when it's, you know, icky or whatever, there's all kinds of things that they're not right. But what I've realized is that if I take that idea that they're, they're trying to communicate and I utilize it and I shift it and I change it to work for my industry and what I do, like there's massive payoff there. There's big, big growth that can happen. And, um, you know, I've, I've been doing that for my whole art career and it's really paid off for me. All right. Number nine, number nine is a good one. Spend time with competitors. Almost nothing grows my practice like spending time around people that I want to be like, or that I want to be, um, that I want to be more like, you know, the times when I've been around people that are challenging my ideas and, and doing better things than I'm doing, I almost, it's like a weird human thing. It's like, you know, one of my favorite examples of that is like, um, you know, people think that you can, only run a mile so fast and there's just and that's impossible for a human to even run any faster than that and then one person beats the record and then all of a sudden everybody beats the record and it it defies logic but i feel like for me it's exact same so you know uh whenever i meet somebody or i become friends with somebody who does certain things better than me i just instantly get better at those you know, I, my mind just expands and I accept, I'm not, I quit accepting less or worse. You know, one of the examples of this was when I was in college, uh, there's an illustrator called Lee Ford. Uh, he came in and he was doing editorial illustration and all kinds of stuff. And for whatever reason, knowing that meeting a real person that does illustration in real life, that really gets good jobs... And seeing that that's a real thing, it's not just like a celebrity thing, a thing that is totally untouchable. Just seeing that, my work instantly got better, like almost unexplainably. Um, and so I think one of the best things you can do is how can you spend time either in person or online uh, in direct communication with the people that you're in competition with, the people that are better than you. Um, that's, the, that's the best way to change and best way to grow is to spend time with people like, that you want to be like and less time with people that you don't want to be like. Um, all right, last one. A big one, give instead of get. When we talk about growth of your, of your work and, you know, we're talking a little bit about money, we're talking a little bit about accumulating new things and, and you know, things working out for you. Often, the, th the way we think we do that is by stepping on other people, taking more than we give, trying to get ahead, all that stupid crap. And I never feel like that's what it's about. For me, I feel like it's about how do I participate more? How do I give more? Because, 
You know, one of the things I know someone, a friend of mine, you know, early on in his career, he would email people, but he wouldn't email them with anything trying to take away. And it, and it really wasn't uh, even, um, it wasn't even ulterior motives. It was just he, every time he responded to something that he thought, look, that thing is awesome, he would reach out, send him an email, and just say, look, that thing you're doing is awesome. And I'll tell you what, the emails that I've sent that, were, that had bad motives, they don't go anywhere. But the emails where I've, you know what, I've responded to something, I had an emotional connection to something. You know, for instance, there's a big blogger out there. I'm not going to give you all the details just because it just doesn't seem very classy. But there's a big blogger. They were doing this thing that was helping tons of creative people. And it helped me so much. I reached out to him and I just said, look, that thing that you've done is impacting thousands of people and it's amazing and it's meaningful and you should be super proud of it. And I just want to thank you. You know, she went around, blogged a project of mine, turned into, you know, a free trip uh, across the country for a, for an awesome project. And, you know, honestly, that, that, Email was p so pure. It was literally just like, this is something that's meaningful to me, and I want the creator of it to know that they're doing meaningful, meaningful work. And I really do believe if your attitude, if you just shift your attitude, don't shift your attitude. If I give, I'm going to get more stuff. Don't shift your attitude to that. Don't shift your, don't have the attitude of, I need to take, take, take. Shift your attitude to, I'm going to go from a scarcity me mentality that says that, there's only so much work out there. There's only so much praise out there. There's only, you know, I've got to take as much as I can get. Shift your attitude from that to I need to go out there in, to, to, to a generosity and abundance mentality that says there's more than enough for the people that are going to work hard and do right and be talented and do, and do great work. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to give all that I can get. I'm going to get, you know, this podcast, that's what this is about. Yes, there are cool things that happen from this for me, but I try to remain as pure as possible and say, I'm going to give my time and resources, the things that I've learned, and I'm going to try to make it as beneficial to as many people as possible, purely out of the fact that I want other people to have great breakthroughs in their work. Okay, so that's it. I'm wrapping it up. Remember, you can find this and listen to this on illustration uh, with Illustration Age, illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. You can go check it out there. It's an awesome illustration website, um, tons of inspiration, great um, news about what's going on in the illustration world. Uh, and thanks for the new reviews on iTunes. Super awesome. Really appreciate all those kind words. Thank you so much. Thanks for the emails, engaging in the topics, giving me new topics. Thanks for sharing it on Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr. Super thankful to all you guys. Keep listening. Until then, stay pepped up.